Hello, and welcome to I Am Dad Podcast with your fatherhood authority, Kenneth Braswell. 30 minutes of wisdom, information, resources, and nuggets to help you on your fatherhood journey. Or maybe you're just curious and want to hear some real talk about fatherhood, family, and the minds of men. Well, guess what? We got you too. Sit back, grab your pad and pen, and maybe even bring a little something to sip on. Enjoy 30 straight minutes of fatherhood, family, and fun with the fatherhood authority. Kenneth Braswell. Welcome to I Am Dad Podcast. I'm your host, Kenneth Braswell. And today, um, like all other Sunday mornings, I'm always excited about the guests that I have on the show. You know, after I think it's been six months now, maybe even seven months since I started doing these, I actually look forward to doing the interviews because A, I love talking to smart people. Um, B, I love talking to interesting people. And three, I love what's going to happen today. And that is when my conversations with my guests is actually part of my therapy. And so that's that's what I'm going to like about today's conversation. And my good friend, um, Jackie Bruton, is my guest for today. And she's a highly sought after youth speaker, author and teen relationship expert. For those of you who got teenagers out there like I do in my house. Um, she's a graduate of Furman University, and in 2001, she walked away from a successful career in corporate America um, to establish Motivation in 3D. Is that how you say that? Motivation yes. in 3D. Motivation in 3D. Got you. Eight, a motivational speaking company. Uh, she can be found speaking to classrooms of 30 uh, of 30 or delivering keynotes before large audiences of thousands. Um, over the past 20 years, Jackie has spoken to hundreds of thousands of teens across this country and abroad. You keep, I follow you on social media. You keep yourself busy. Like every time I was watching, a, a, I think it was a TikTok click with you the other day. It might've been a TikTok or Instagram reel. Um, and you were, I can't even remember the statement that you were talking about, but I was like, man, that was deep. I wish I had wrote it down, but I was in the car when I was, I was looking at it. And I said, she is doing, you are doing God's work, right? With these teenagers. Um, and I have a 14 year old and a 16 year old boys in my house, um, right now. And so I've, all my girls are gone. And so I've done everything I could possibly do with my girls and they are doing well. Um, as as our mothers used to tell us when when I, when I went to the military, when they went to have, don't you come home with no babies? Like they, just, <laughs> they have done well and not come home with no babies. They live in their best life, you know, right now. Um, and I always try to frame like, how I became a parent in a way that it didn't make me look like I was a bad person. Mm. I just made a bad decision. And as a result of that decision, I had to grow up faster than I probably needed to grow up. And so it wasn't, you know, you weren't in terms of my kids, you were not a mistake. Um, my, decision in doing something put me in a position that I had to be a grown-up before I needed to be yeah. a grown-up. And so listen, do me a favor because I start off all my podcasts with this question and it sets the tone for the rest of the conversation based on like what I hear from okay. what you're about to tell me. And so uh -oh. the question is, tell me your daddy's story. So my father died when I was four years old. So I have no memory of my father. I'm the youngest of 10. And um, my father had a stroke at a very young age. Um, so, but there's such a large difference between me and my oldest sibling mm -hmm. that it's almost like my brother-in-laws like kind of filled in the gap. Cause like, I don't remember ever living in the same house with my sister because she was going away to college mm -hmm. and then she got married right out of college. So, so I don't, I don't have an interesting story to, to tell just because I, I did grow up without my father, mm -hmm. but I had men in my life that were role models for me. Okay. 
So, yeah, though, it's never about, you know, what I've learned with this. And I think I asked it to one of my guests probably a couple of months ago. And, you know, I've been asking the question since. And the reason that I now just continue to ask it is because there's no good or bad daddy story. It is what it is. And that's what people need to hear. They need to hear that this thing is all over the place. It's not, everybody doesn't come to the space with this tragic daddy story that is trying to pull at the heartstrings. I mean, I, my person that I interviewed before this, um, was I had a great father in my life, you know, and as a result of my father, this is who I became. And he was, I was like, that narrative needs to be heard. I've heard in other interviews, my father was an alcoholic abuser. That story needed to be heard. Yeah. I had another interview. My father was a single dad. He raised five of us without our mother who left us. That, like these narratives with respect right. to who we are and who our families are need to be heard. And I think it's so interesting for me when I see people out there doing the work that you do when you're working with our youth for me to kind of understand because I think that our parents' narrative frames our own narrative. And more specifically, I can always tell based on someone's daddy's story, what's feeding you and what's who you're what you're what you're receiving your information and through our filters you're dealing with right. and through, right? So it's important for me um to kind of know that. But let's start and, with and I think for me, I think for me, because to the work that I do with kids with teenagers, I hear more bad daddy stories than good daddy stories, mm. just because that is a lot of times the the reason they're making some of their choices why? is because of, of daddy issues. So that's why I kind of index to that because I hear the I hear the stories of I just I just had a girl just this morning send me a message on Instagram and said. Um, you said you were at my class at my school two weeks ago, and you said that a lot of girls try to find their value in men because their fathers weren't there. And it resonated with me. Can you give me some tips Mm. on how I can deal with that? So that was fresh in my memory. And those are the ones I hear, the ones who are reaching out to me about, I got daddy issues. Right. Well, you (laughs) walked right into my first question. My first question was, how are you seeing father absence show up in the teens you're working with? Like, what does that look like? Woo. And, and I always say this because um, I know that there are great fathers out there. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I always have to make sure I don't get in trouble to make it seem like all dads are absent because there are a lot of really present dads. Mm-hmm. But I will tell you, and, and even the ones who are present physically, if they're not emotionally present, there you go. that's an issue too. So I feel like these, they think I'm Dear Abby. Like I'm, I'm the dear happy for teens. So two weeks ago, I was at a school and a girl 14 years old said that her father is not emotionally there for her. And all he says is, I provide for you. Mm. And that show you that I love you. She says, but he never shows me any affection. So this 14 year old girl now is being, I think groomed by a 30 year old man at her church who she sees at choir rehearsal. He's one of the musicians on the choir. She has been communicating with him for the last year. Her parents have no clue that she's communicating with a 30-year-old man. And she said, he is feeling the void that I feel for my father. And and that's very dangerous. Right. And so I see that. But, but even with the boy's side, I remember years ago, I had a young man who, after class, um, said, I try not to say anything to my mom because I don't want her to feel bad. He said, but lately things have been happening that have been making me really angry about my father not being there. He said, I play on the football team and Friday night, all of us had to wear ties to the game. And he said, my mom had to call one of her friends over to tie my necktie. He said, that made me so angry because my father should have taught me how to tie a necktie. Right. And he said, lately, all of the more and more things are happening. And so I think it plays out differently. So you think about for young men whose fathers aren't there, I think it plays out sometimes in anger and violence because mm-hmm. they can't they can't go back and, and do something to their dad for not being there. So they take it out 
mm-hmm. on others. Mm-hmm. I um, had a young man who said, this is a high school guy who said his father wasn't there. He said, so I relied on other men to teach me what it meant to be a man. And because I wasn't their son, they taught me about a life without limits. Mm. He said he had had um, 23 sexual partners and he was HIV positive. Wow. And he said, please share with dads that when you're not there, you're not the only one that gets hurt. Wow. So, I mean, I could, I could be here all day telling you, telling you story after story after story. Yeah, I know you can. I I just wish fathers understood like how vital they are. Right, 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 right. So let's go there. Let's go. No, no, no. What? Let me take a step back because I do want to go there, and we are going to go there. But I want to walk us into really framing our teenagers today, right? And so our teenagers are these generations today are Generation Zers. They are a different breed than anything before us, right? Than anything before us. The number two traits of Generation Zers is A, they have no fear of authority, none Mm. whatsoever. They do not fear authority from anywhere, parental enforcement, law, anywhere. They do not fear authority. Second character trait of uh, Generation Z is that they are intimately connected to technology. All of their life lives and centers around technology. That's where we are. So for, I often tell parents, um, be mindful about when you're taking your child's phone as a punishment mechanism because what you're doing for many of them are you, you are disconnecting them from the world and everything that they are. And you can't, you have to think about what that means to a child. Now there's other ways to regulate what they're doing on their phone, but to detach them completely from their phone in a day and age where a teenager having their phone is so vital for a parent right? Because on our phones, we have the life locks and all. I know where all my kids are, even my adult kids. I know I can pull up my phone and tell you where all of them are right now. And that's not for me as a parent to be micromanaging you. That is in a world where it's important for me to know where you are. I need to know where you are. And it's not like I'm sitting on my phone watching your life pass watching you go up 400 and get off at exit six and go to the, I'm not doing that. It's, but if I haven't heard from you or it's late at night and I haven't gotten that click that such and such has arrived home, I'm looking to see where you are. So if I get that phone call, I know what to expect and I know where they're going. But as you look at the teenagers that you're working with today, what are you seeing generationally different from our children today, from us, you, as you were a child growing up in the same space? I tell students all the time, I would not want to be a teenager today to save my life. Wow. I told them, I said, I, and I grew up poor. I said, I would rather have grown up when I did, like I did, than to grow up with money today. Just because the pressures that they have are so much more than they were. I mean, they have the social media, mm-hmm. you know, they have the technology and all the trouble that they can get in and techno- you know, on technology that, that finds them. Mm-hmm. Like they don't even have to go looking for it. Um, just from like bullying, you know, when we were, I, I don't know, maybe did you have a, was there a lot of bullying you know, I mean, you could pinpoint our bullies. It was one or two of them. Right. And so it was always just like one big bully in the school that everybody was afraid of, but not like a multiplicity of bullies all over the place. Like the normal. And I think what you're saying is for us today, the average normal student, if he's in the right circle can serve as bullies based on um, social media and how they talk about somebody. Right. Anybody can use that as a bully pit if they have influence on social media. 
because we didn't have influence, the only person that could actually be a bully of the school was the kid was that was like two feet taller than everybody else and 200 pounds when everybody else was 100 pounds because you couldn't beat them up. But it's different. And so I think- Or if, if, we, were, if we were bullied, we got home, went home, we had a reprieve from my bully, at least during the time that we were home. <laughs> right. And now there's no reprieve from the bully because the bullying leaves school. And like you said, it follows you on social media. Right. So they have this constant barrage of of pressure and and negativity that we got some relief from negativity, even if it school was negative for us. Mm -hmm. We at least got to go home. So mm -hmm. now the negativity is twenty four seven almost for them. Right, right. Um, you know, and the, the pressure to to fit in is even more elevated with social media because we just compared ourselves to people we saw every day. Right. Now they have to compare themselves to people that they'll never meet. Mm, ooh. So it is just, yeah. you know, it's just, it's just, it's the level is just so, so, so much higher. And then you have the pressure and, you know, this is what I deal with is talking to teens about sex, like the pressure that they have sex is everywhere for them. Right. And, and so, you know, everywhere they turn, they are being like, almost ostracized if they're not doing it. Right, right. And I'm not saying none of that happened. I just don't think it was as severe when we were we were growing up. It's just a, yeah, and it was. a mental health standpoint. Mm -hmm. I, don't, I don't think mental health, and, and think about the pressure too. I told somebody, even getting into colleges, like I don't remember having the kind of pressure that kids have today from a competitiveness of getting into college. And 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 the stress of AP courses and all it's 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 a lot. Yeah. <laughs> so when you think about parents that are trying to navigate this space with their children, you know, I think you know, if I'm I'm thinking back when I was growing up, like I always talk about this, the birds and the bees. Remember that? That was always. Did you have the conversation about the birds? And I've never had that conversation, so I don't even know what the I don't even know what that story is. I've never heard yeah. that story. So I don't know what. I don't know what the connection between a bird and a bee right. is. I don't know what that connection is, but that was the term that was used. And I had to figure it out on my, I fell into it. And then I had to figure it out myself. But as parents, when you're trying to navigate, like I'm a, you know, full transparency. I haven't had a conversation with my boys yet. They're 14 and 16. I haven't had a conversation with them yet. Um, they're somewhat a little isolated because they're not, like we used to be, which is you go outside and you come back in when the street lights go off. Right. Like, so I don't know what they're doing out there. 90% of the time, other than when they're school in school, they're under our control. And so we, so we know where they are, but I know it's necessary to begin to start thinking about how we're going to have this conversation. So based on what you're seeing with these kids, like, for a parent who doesn't know the first step to take in having that conversation, what should that process look like? And when so, should you know, and when should you know you need to have that conversation? So I always say you have it before you think you need to have it. Mm. Okay. <laughs> you know, if, if, if you get to the point where they're already dating, they're already in a relationship, then the conversation is not just a general conversation. Now it's about them. And so it's always easier to have a conversation before they get in a relationship, before you think you need the conversation. I tell parents, I say, you know, have it when uh, you're in the car driving somewhere where you're going a high rate of speed where they can't jump out. <laughs> <laughs> so where it's not so confrontational. But when I ask the students, I say, how many of you have had the talk? which I think that's a misnomer, um, with your parents. Usually it's less than 50% of the students. Mm -hmm. and, and the ones who say they did have it, I'll say, what was it like? They'll say awkward. Right. And, and I wanna say, it's just as awkward for the parents too, trust me. <laughs> <laughs> but what should the conversation but, be like? Okay, keep going, but I wanna, I'm like, I, I'm just trying to figure out like, what's the what's the line opener like what's the open like you know what's the opening line that you walk into this conversation with that at least stimulates you to having the conversation 
Okay, I think one of the biggest mistakes is making it the conversation. So I okay. think you start out like not talking about sex. <sighs> like there has to be, and, and so you probably have started some conversations that you didn't even know you were having. Mm. Because you start out talking about healthy relationships. Mm. And, and, and that doesn't have to be anything about sex. So by the time you have a conversation about sex, it's not out of the blue. And so most parents make the mistake of never having had a conversation with them, anything about love. How do you tell when you love somebody? And I don't even mean romantic love, but what right. does love look like? Right. Um, and then, you know, what is a healthy relationship? And there are plenty of opportunities that you can have where you can have that conversation where it's watching, watching movies, Right. you know, out in the community, what what do you think about what do you think about that? Like, what do you think about the the way he treated her or the way she you know this happened? What what and talk about it that way. Mm -hmm. And then by the time you get to have the conversation about sex, it's more of a natural fit versus you just bringing it on them. Why? Why? And and here's the other thing I think that parents don't get. I always like to say, and this is how I teach in the schools. I like to teach towards something and not away from something. Okay. And so I think parents would like do well to help their student, their, their child have dreams, goals, and a vision. And so you let them get to the, come to the conclusion themselves that not just sex, but drugs, alcohol, anything is not worth it because they have a bigger yes. And so I think a parent's one of their best strategies is help your child set a vision for their future and know where they're going. Because if it's easy to say no to things that are going to dis destroy them or dis detract them from getting their future when they have something that they're saying yes to. Okay. And so I think the big issue is a lot of kids don't have a bigger yes, so they say yes to anything. Right, right. And I think that leads to, you know, this whole notion of like value, right? I think I've heard you talking about this on social media as well. And that is making sure that particularly girls value their bodies, value, don't give yourself to anybody, give yourself a value so that the person that you are liking or want to like or whatever has to put something in the game in order to get something you've placed a value on. I mean, if these particularly children, particularly girls, since we can lean there a little bit, struggle with understanding how to value themselves. Oh, I say all the time, we don't have a sex problem. We have a lack of value problem. Mm. Like we have a problem with teenagers not valuing themselves enough to protect themselves. And interesting stories, you talk about value. I had a guy in my class say one day, he said, I hate the double standard that we have in our society when it comes to sex. He said, my father would drive me to the girls' houses to have sex and said, he would just tell me when I got out of the car, you better make sure you use the condom when you get in there. Hmm. He said, but I have a sister who's a year younger than I am. And the message my father always gave my sister was, you don't need to have sex because you need to know your value. You need to know your worth. He said, boys have value too. He said, but nobody ever talks to boys about knowing their value. He said, I lost my virginity when I was in the ninth grade. And he said, if I could go back, and he had just graduated from high school. He said, if I could go back as a high school graduate and be a virgin again, I would. He said, because I got a girl pregnant my junior year in high school. But because I was a football player and I wanted to go to college and play football, I convinced my girlfriend to get an abortion. And he said, now every time I hear a baby cry, it messes with my head. Wow. And he said, that would have never been my reality if my father had given me the same message that he gave my sister, which is you need to know your value, you need to know your worth. Wow. Oh, that you just that was uh that way you just took me was a, a conversation that I was having with someone else um not too long ago. And we were talking about our own personal histories. And we were talking about this whole notion of of of, of you know making that mistake and, and, and having abortions. And I said, you know, the thing that I don't think I knew at the time was for me, it was a release from a situation, but I didn't understand that for her, it was a release from a life that will never go away for her. 
right, that this is a, regardless of what stage, and people can make that argument about what stage it becomes a baby, right. blah, 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 it's neither here nor there. But for a girl, that life will never leave them, right? And they have to grapple with that loss and that decision that they made for the rest of their lives. When you're having this conversation with these teens, are they talking about that decision? Does the abortion conversation come up when it comes to them? Do they see that as the numero uno option when, you know, unfortunately, well, unfortunately or fortunately, depending on how they're looking at it, um, the girl becomes pregnant? No, they don't. That doesn't that doesn't come up. I'm not I'm not saying they're not thinking about that. Why? That doesn't come up in class. Why? Rarely. I mean, I don't think I'm trying to think of time when it might have. Right. Um, they they just don't go there. But it's interesting because we had a uh, I had a contractor here two weeks ago and I asked him, I said, do you have any kids? And he said, no. He said, I, he said, I want to be married before I have my kids. And I said, really? I said, why do you say that? He said, because I grew up with both of my parents and I want the same for my kids. Mm. And he said, he said, now he was 28 years old. And he said, now don't get me wrong. I haven't always like been like this. He said, but I also paid for an abortion and I don't like the way it made me feel. Mm. He said, and I don't ever want to have to have that feeling again. And I was, I mean, I was shocked to hear a young 28 year old man, like take that stance. Why, why, why? Are you seeing a difference in how both boys and girls are viewing sex? Cause it almost feels like as we were growing up that it was always a, a, a boy conversation, right? It was always either we were starving for sex. We wanted to talk about sex. We wanted to have sex sex determined our masculinity, all those things. And girls were always just the target of whatever our sexual desires were. And we never gave any thought that both boys and girls have sexual desires. We were just always brought up to believe that that was a boy thing, not a girl thing. Are you seeing differences in how boys and girls see sex today? Oh, it's a new day. I can tell you, I've been doing this <laughs> Things are different now than they were 20 years ago when I started doing this. I 20 years ago, it was always um, teach girls refusal skills. If they mm -hmm. say, if you love me, you'll do this, then it's what you say. I have to teach boys refusal skills. Like girls are so much more aggressive. I There have been times when it is easier for me to talk a teenage boy out of having sex than it is a teenage girl. Wow. And I never would have expected that like 20 years ago and talk, I'll, I'll tell you what the difference is because it took me a while to figure it out. So I do this activity in the classroom where I'll put on the board and I'll say, okay, girls, guys, I want you to just sit there and, and uh, listen, but I just want to hear from the girls. What do girls expect from sex? Love, commitment, validation. It'll make them feel special. They'll feel desirable. Um, they have this long, long, long list that they list on the board. So I say, okay, then I ask the guys, I say, guys, what do guys want from sex? Teenage boys, the average teenage boy. They say, pleasure, we're done. <laughs> they say, that <laughs> And sometimes they'll say respect or bragging rights. Now the girls will often say respect, but when girls say they want respect, they want it from the partner. When wow. guys say they want respect, they want it from their peers. Mm -hmm. And so then I will say, do y'all notice anything different about these two lists? And the guys will say, yeah, the difference is girls expect too much. Wow. And, and then the girls will say, well, maybe y'all expect too little. And then I say, I agree with the guys. And I say, you know why? I say, young ladies, because this is an unrealistic list. Mm -hmm. I said, it is unrealistic for a teenage girl to expect long-term emotional needs to be met by a short-term physical act. Right. And That's I said... And, and the thing is, I said, we always dog guys out because we say guys are dogs. They're using girls to get this. I said, is it any more fair for a girl who's got to get that? I said, he may be using you to get his physical needs met, but you're just as guilty of using him to get your emotional needs met. Right. Huh. What's so, the response so the to that? The difference. What's the so, response? Oh, I had, 
I had a girl who got really upset when I said that. And she said, well, Miss Jackie, instead of you telling us that our expectations are too high, why don't you get guys to raise their expectations? She said, because everything on that list, those it's natural for a girl to want validation and acceptance. And I said, there's nothing wrong with anything on this list. Mm-hmm. It's just crazy to expect it to come from sex. Wow. I said, because these are the long-term emotional needs. You're, you're talking about a short-term physical act. And I said, why would I get guys to raise their expectations to the ones you had? Because guess what? Now theirs are unrealistic too. Mm. If it's unrealistic for y'all, it's also unrealistic for them. But Mm -hmm. that is when it dawned on me, this is why it is easier for me to talk a teenage boy out of having sex than a girl. Because to the teenage girl, for me to get her to not have sex, I am asking her to give up what she thinks validation, acceptance, love, commitment Mm -hmm. to the teenage boy, he's given up pleasure. Mm -hmm. And if I can appeal to him about being a protector and not a predator and, and, you know, changing things, because I think guys really, 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 they really do want to rise up to a standard. I just think, unfortunately, as a culture, we have lowered our expectations so that we have this mentality of boys will be boys. Mm -hmm. And so, People live up or down their expectations. Teenagers know different. So we have low expectations and we're getting exactly what we expect. Um, how much of an influence um, does music and media um, have on how they think about sex? You know, because we were, you know, us growing up, we, to your point earlier, we weren't bombarded with images of sex all over the place, not unless we were able to get our hands on, you know, the for boys. Not unless we were able to get our hands on <clears throat> Penthouse or Players Magazine, you know, or Hustler Magazine, or that's the only place we got to see some level of sex beyond what we had access to. But how much does media um, play a role and music play a role in how our children think about sex today? I think it plays a huge role, but I think even more than media and music is pornography. Wow. And, and that is, I just think it's probably one of the biggest threats that we have in our culture. Um, I had a dad did a parent workshop and said um, about the dangers of porn. The dad came back and said, I didn't think I had anything to worry about with my son, but y'all got me scared. So I went home and checked his device and I found two weeks worth of graphic history where my son had been visiting graphic porn sites. His son was six years old. Mm. He wow. asked his son, why were you on those sites? His son said he was Googling something for his Razor scooter and it just popped up. And he said, I didn't know what it was, but then I got curious and then there were these other links. And most exposure to porn for kids is by accident. But they can never unsee what they just saw. Right. And so now what they're getting their sex education, like if a parent is not help ta- te- teaching their kids about sex, they're getting it from porn. Wow. That's the where they're getting their education. Wow. And we all know that's that's unrealistic. And I had a, a guy who ended up being a teen dad. He was in one of my classes and um, asked me later if he could do an interview because I had showed an interview with one of my mentors, mentees. And he said, I want to have this kind of impact and I want other people to learn from my story. And he said, when I got my girlfriend pregnant, I Googled trying to find resources for teen dads. And he said, there, I couldn't find anything out there, but there were tons of resources for teen moms. Yeah. He right. said, so I had to like go through this all on my own. Mm-hmm. But he talked about the fact that he was addicted to porn. And he said, it got to the point where that's how I couldn't look at a girl without seeing her sexually. He said, I would, would have teachers in my, in my teachers. I couldn't look at them without seeing them sexually. And so when you have a whole generation that has this kind of exposure to porn, you know, there, there are kids who are telling me that they've done oral sex before they kissed. Wow. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, this is therapy. And so now I got to (laughs) rethink, I got to think when I'm going to have this conversation. I mean, he's absolutely right about the resources. I mean, the resources for dads period is scarce. Um, yeah. but more specifically for teen dads. And so I just wrote that down as something that I need to think about. It's interesting because 
in our program here in Atlanta um, of working with fathers, um, we're working with fathers, uh, well, we're mandated to work for fathers, work with fathers from 18 to 40 years old. Um, but we have an algorithm on our social media where we do advertisement to actually touch those, um, those cohorts of dads. And so this past cohort, we decided that we really want to, usually when we did that ad, it was wide open. It was 18 to 40, and that's how it was hitting. But in our return, we were primarily getting dads that were between like 27 years old and 35 years old. That was our sweet spot. That's how dads are coming in. <clears throat> and so we had this conversation about we need to get to these younger dads um, because these are the ones that we really need to have a conversation about. And so I changed the algorithm on the ad to look specifically at 18 to 24. And the interesting thing that happened when I narrowed it, and I narrowed it, it was around Christmas time, around, it was around Thanksgiving, Christmas time when I narrowed it. Um, the interesting thing is what the ad targeted was it zeroed in right on that 18 to 24. But it also caught what Facebook also captured, 13 to 17. Like we had a ton of 13 wow. to 17 year old dads that that ad caught in there. And I was like, man, what is that about? Like, I really need to kind of figure out like where are these dads and who's providing resources for these dads and what do these dads look like? And so it's on my mind, it's on my plan to like really go back and change that algorithm to 13 and 17 and see if I can pull some of those dads in to begin to start seeing what that looks like. But most of your programs or most of the activities that I've seen you engaged in are in schools. Uh, what's happening in schools now when it comes to sex education? Because I know that when we were in school, we didn't have the deep, deep conversations, but at least we talked about anatomy. And in the midst of talking about anatomy, we got to talk about some other things that depending on the teacher you have, they may go a little further and have some other conversation. But our sex education, from what I can remember in school, was always around sexually transmitted diseases. It wasn't about relationship and love and all of those things. It's like, don't do it, because if you do it, <laughs> this is going to happen to you. And then we got shown horrific pictures of what herpes looks like, you know, when it gets to stages. And it's almost like the whole scared straight scenario. Let me scare the hell out of you so you won't go and do this. What does that education look like in the schools now? I think it varies by school, um, but I do think what is most effective is the whole conversations about healthy relationships. Mm -hmm. um, and there, there are still some health teachers because I'm not, I'm not, I, I supplement what they get from their regular health teacher. Okay. So I go in as a, as a guest speaker and I just supplement. So I'm able to bring in the part that, as the students say, makes it so much more effective for the reasons that you just said because I'm not trying to scare them out of it. Because wow. I'm talking about the conversation where they are. And I'm talking about what's the difference between a healthy relationship and an unhealthy relationship. I'm talking about the porn conversation mm -hmm. and how the media impacts their choices. Mm -hmm. And you know, that's not the nuts and bolts of like showing them the gross pictures and you know, all of that. They get that from their health teacher, wow. but I, go, I, I get the, the fun part, I call it. Okay. <laughs> the one place that I have not seen you yet, and it not, doesn't mean that you have not been there, but I just haven't seen you in this, in this space yet. And I'm curious to hear what you think about this conversation in that space. And that's church, right? Because that's one of those places where I've always heard that why aren't we talking to our young people more about sex we want to talk to them about getting married and we want to talk to them about multiplying and prospering but we're not talking to them about how you get there have you had any experiences in having these conversations in church and what does that look like i have but it's... <laughs> i see your face <laughs> no it's more i mean that's a tough nut to crack yeah. because churches don't want to have the conversation for the most part right and um, I have like people who have heard me speak, moms who have heard me speak, who have tried to get me to their churches and the, the pastors won't touch it because they're, and I, I mean, I get it. 
Maybe they, I mean, I think they can do some research and find out what I say, but this is a sensitive topic that you don't want parents to get upset because you brought a guest speaker in mm. talking to your, what are they going to say? I think that's probably the biggest pushback mm-hmm. is they just, you know, they, they don't, they don't know. Me. I don't know what it is. Wow. I've been trying to figure that out. Like, <laughs> why don't churches want to talk about this? Now I have, like I did, um, Marvin Sapp's church, actually, uh, I went there last March. He had a relationship um, conference. Mm-hmm. And I went there and I talked to the teens there. So there are some some pastors who are more progressive who will address it. But for the most part, Christian schools and churches are probably the least likely uh, places <laughs> that they want to have this conversation. Uh, yeah, I'm and, sure. And those the kids there are doing it. Right. You know, it's like if you talk to them about it, they might do it. Well, guess what? They're doing it even if you're not talking about it. Wow, absolutely. Right. It's not like, but that's, you know what? I think that's a parent's point of view, right? A parent's point of view, and I'm probably guilty of this in most part. If I don't talk about it, it'll go away, right? If I don't bring it up, then it'll never like show up. That's kind of how we think about it because we do have this apprehension. Probably, Jackie, probably more about what we might find out if we start the conversation as opposed to having Like, I don't want to know. <laughs> I can tell you that with our uh, middle daughter, comical story. So um, our middle daughter who uh, went to St. John's, we were in New York at the time. She went to college at St. John's and I, you know, assumed that before she went there, that, you know, she was a virgin, that she hadn't had sex yet. I just, it's my ambam, so I couldn't see my ambam in that position in any guy's house, right? So um, I'm watch. I'm at the barbershop, and I'm watching, no, was I at the barbershop yet? No, I was at home, and I'm watching one of these shows that come on with Sally, Sally Jesse Rabbit, whatever one of those shows, and they're talking about teenage sex, and they're talking about kids having sex and blah, 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 and I'm watching it, and I'm watching it. And so I was on my way to the barbershop, and I go upstairs, and I said, you know, I was downstairs watching this show about, you know, having a conversation about sex with our girls, and I said, have you had the conversation with Amber yet? And she goes, she goes, no, I said, you haven't? I said, do you know if she's had sex or not? And um, she goes, no, she goes, we just haven't had the conversation. So at this point, Amber is at St. John. She's at the school. So I go to the barbershop. And while I'm at the barbershop, my phone rings. And it's my wife one the other night. And she is bawling. And I was like, what's going on? Like, slow down. Like, what's going on? Like, what happened? She's like, I just spoke to Amber. And Amber told me that she's had sex and she's had sex, you know, X number of times since she's been at the school. Mind you, she hasn't been at the school that long. And I freaked out when she said that. And I said, you know what? Okay, let's take a step back. Um, and I was in, we were in Albany, New York. And at the time, Amber was in Queens. I said, I literally, I said, I got to go to New York tomorrow. I said, so I'll go, I'll swing by. And grab her up. So Amber and I's thing together is eating steaks. And so we always eat steaks. So I said, I'm going to go scoop her up. I'm going to call her when I get down there. I'm not going to let her know I'm coming. I'm just saying, hey, I'm in I'm in New York at my mother's house. I'm going to come swing by. We're going to have a steak. So I did my, hey, let's go have a steak, blah, blah, blah. So we have this, we go in and uh, we have the steak and we're talking about all of these things. And she's, I'm saying, so how's St. John's? And she was like, oh, I'm meeting this person. I'm meeting that person. And I'm thinking about going to Spain. And she was just really, just really hyped about being at St. John's and going to college. And so I didn't have the conversation with her at all. So we get up, we leave the restaurant and we get into the car and we sit down into the car. And I said, you know, I'm really, I'm glad you're having a great time at St. John's. I'm glad you, you know, um, are really thinking about the things that um, you want to accomplish while you're here. And I said, but what's the one thing that could happen that can mess all of that up? And she looked at me and I said, you know, and I was like, what is the one thing that I said to you before you came down here that could happen that can mess all of this up? 
And she just started her cry. That's my baby. She just, I don't, I don't, I know how to touch her, how to touch her. She just started crying. And she was like, having a baby. I was like, yes. I said, so help me understand what's happening while you're here now. Because I need to know if the behavior that you're engaged in now was a behavior that you brought here with you from Albany or behavior that you've picked up since you've been here. I need to know what I'm dealing with. And she just went through and just started talking about how parties and going out and expectations and peer pressure and trying to fit in and blah, 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 and blah, blah, blah. And then we had the whole value conversation. That's when we had the value conversation. And we talked about protection. And in your book, you talk about, um, I saw it somewhere, it's, oh, dreams and goals. Right. We talked about I'm like, what do you I said, you share with me for the last two hours, your dreams and goals and but you're engaging in behavior that's going to jeopardize all of those dreams and goals. And it's going to derail what we sent you here for, which was to get educated so that you could have a better life moving forward than we have for you. That's why we work so hard for you to be able to have this privilege, blah, blah, blah. Fast forward. My baby turns 30 tomorrow. She turns 30 tomorrow. No kids. She works hard and she lives her best life. She works, she plays as hard as she works. She works and I'm like, so she's going Dominican Republic. But she is traveling five or six times a year. Like every time I told him, like, where are you going now, Amber? Oh, I'm going such and such. I'm going such and such. I'm going such and such. And we had this conversation. I'm like, so we're not going. I was like, nobody's in. So now I'm now this grandparent side of me is like, you ain't settling down. You ain't, you know, before I was trying to avoid it. Now I'm like, <laughs> you know, what's up? What are we doing here? Like, what, you know, where's the dude? And she hasn't brought anybody. Like, she, every once in a while, she'll bring somebody. But it just never sticks in a serious. And I asked, I was like, what's the problem with these boys? Because that was the next question, which is, what's going on that there's no boys that even show some level of potential? And her response to me was, none of them are you. I want someone who's going to treat me like my dad. And I said, whoa, that floored me. Um, and it floored me. So it floored, it just floored me. And I said to her, I said, oh, I said, I got to th think about that. And we didn't have this conversation in a couple more days after that. I said, come on, I said, I need to talk to you. I said, I had a chance to think about what you just said or what you told me about that. And I said, let me tell you something. And I said, I said, when I started dating your mother, I said, I was really in a bad place. I said, you don't remember this because you were young. I said, but when I started dating your mother, I said, the first time I had enough courage to ask her out, I said, let me tell you what I said to her. I said, um, I really wanna ask you out. I really wanna take you out. But right now I don't have a job and the only thing in my house is peanut butter and jelly. That's what I said to her. I said, <laughs> I said the only thing in my house is peanut butter and jelly. And Tracy said to me with a straight face right out of her mouth, oh, I like peanut butter and jelly. Oh, wow. And I said, really? I was like, so if you like, we can, so let's do peanut butter and jelly. And the next day she came to my house for lunch and we had peanut butter and jelly for lunch. And that's where we started. And I oh, said, that's a great story. yeah. And I said to Amber, I said, um, what I want you to understand is that what your mother saw in the prince was a frog because I wasn't the king yet. I was still acting like a prince, but what your mother saw was the frog in me. And she knew that the frog could be a prince. She invested in the frog because she knew that the frog has the potential to be a prince and then become a king. I said, what I want you to do is don't dismiss people that come through your space without being able to figure out the potential of their frog. So I need you to see the frog too, not just the prince. I need you to see the frog so you can tell whether or not this is somebody who's worth your value 
and worth your investment. I said, you can invest in some people, but see, well, she's short like me. She's short like I was when I was coming up. If I ain't feeling you after like a couple of dates, two or three weeks, you out the door. I'm not interested. Yeah. She, don't give, <laughs> she don't give no one. When you're dealing with some of these kids that you're that they're working with, um, you talked about their them not having long-term relationships and not thinking about long-term relationships. But I'm curious as to what they dream about when it comes to relationships. And I know sex sometimes become the cart before the horse, but are our, are, are our youth, particularly our girls, still thinking about the husband, the big house, the white picket fence, and the dog and the two-car garage? Is that like in the dreams or it's just, it, it is what it is right now? They're very jaded. Mm. They, they're, they're very jaded. Um, and it's to the point, and I tell them, I said, y'all break my heart because y'all are so jaded about relationships. It's almost like a game. I'm going to get them before they get me. And, and in the music, nobody's loyal. They're not loyal. I'm not, you know, and, and it's, it's, it's just so, um, it's so sad. I tell them, I said, y'all, I come in here and I talk to y'all and, and it just breaks my heart to hear how you think about the opposite sex, but not just the opposite, about relationships and the longevity of relationships and whether it's even worth it. Like the girl just told me yesterday when I said, how do you know when you love somebody? She said, love ain't real. Oh, wow. I hear that all the time from teenagers. Love is not real. They said not with our generation. And then you have, um, this was something I said on a, um, a video that I did with Lamar Tyler probably nine years ago that I, for whatever reason, it went viral like last year, but I had an eighth grade girl who said she wanted to have two kids, but she never wanted to be married. And I said, why would you have a goal of having two kids in the eighth grade and not be married? She said, because if I'm married to him, I can't collect child support. Wow. And I said, well, don't you realize that the reason you don't get child support from the person you're married to is because you're living in the house with them? And she said, not necessarily. She said, and why should I have marry somebody just because I have kids by him? What if he's on drugs? And she said, I said, if you think he's too bad to be a husband, do you think he's going to make a better father? Right. And so you have that mentality where they don't even want to get married. And they're, they're always talking about um, the divorce rate. And one girl said, I don't trust guys because my dad cheated on my mom and they ended up getting divorced. And if the man that I love the most, if he couldn't be loyal, why do I think any of these other guys are going to be loyal? I mean, they are, wow. it breaks my heart. They yeah. are so, so, so jaded about wow. relationships. And part of that is what they see in, in the media. Right. Wow. Yeah, that is heartbreaking to just think about that. And we just got to figure out, I don't know, you know, I've been in our work, you know, one of the things that I've been talking about a lot is this whole notion of hope, you know, and that for many of us in our community, we're just losing hope and a people without a person without hope is a dangerous person is a dangerous person. If you don't have anything right. to live for, and to your right. point, I'm concerned about our children and what they're hopeful for, right? Because it seems like they're giving up on the world. They're giving up on everybody who's had responsibility to create an environment for them to strive in. And now they're just willing to accept whatever it is, right? Or they don't think they're going to live long. A boy just told me yesterday in class, he said, Miss Jackie, the reason some of us don't think the way you are telling us we should think long-term. He said, because a lot of us don't think we're gonna live past 24. And I said, are you serious? And he said, yeah. He said, I hear a lot of my friends say, I might not live past 24, so I'm just gonna have all the fun that I want now. And so <laughs> I'm like, 24? I mean, that's right. so young. But right. I do think we have a hopeless generation. Right. And so if they, you know, they don't consider something at-risk behavior if they don't think you're risking anything. Like, yeah. they don't make decisions to protect a future if they don't think they're going to have a future. Right. And so many of these kids just, they don't see a future 
But you think about the culture that we're in where we, we didn't have school shootings. Mm-hmm. You know, you think about the, all of the dangers that they're seeing that we never had to experience that. Like I'm in a school and we're doing an active shooter drill. And I'm like, we have <laughs> right. fired Right. You know, and I'm thinking, wow, like right. this was not my reality. Right. But these kids have a very different reality. And I think that contributes to them being hopeless. So many of them are hopeless about relationships, about their futures. And so the choices they're making are reflecting their hopelessness. And so I always say I'm a pusher of hope. You know, it's like Mm -hmm. I go in and I try to give them hope to say, Mm -hmm. you know, even when they talk about a divorce rate and I say, don't give up on the institution of marriage just because you didn't see it work with your parents. Right. Like your parents did not have the kind of relationship education that you're getting in this class. Mm -hmm. And so you just do the work to now deal with trauma, deal with all this other stuff so that you don't take that into a marriage and you don't have that, you know, your chance of getting a divorce might not be as high. Why? Jackie Bruton, she is the author of The Truth About Sex. The Truth About Sex, real stories from teen guys like you. Where's the gals in here? Cause usually you use gut. No, so I, this, that's my second book. So this is the first book, Seven Secrets Guys Will Never Tell You, A Teen Girl's Gotta Love Sex. Ooh, do I, no, you sent me that. I have that too. Yeah, I don't this, know where it is. This, yeah, this one I wrote first. Yeah, that yeah. one I wrote last year, but right. this one I wrote first. Right. And it's funny because there's a chapter in this book. So one of the secrets, one of the seven secrets, chapter number six is they can't replace your father. And so I have a whole chapter in this book about daddy issues and what a father really provides. And so I talk about four things that a father provides. Provide he he provides validation, uh, protection, mm-hmm. provision, and guidance. Right. And I think that that's if he can provide a girl this, a right. daughter, he he didn't have to worry about as much about her making poor choices. Yeah. Well, you are doing an awesome work. I'm gonna have you. I'm gonna, I'm trying to figure out how to get you deeper in my lane of work. Um, and I really, I think it's important that as we kind of work with our dads, we're actually going to apply for the next iteration of grants for a relationship, um, grant that's going to be associated with our fatherhood grant so that we can start making the transition or at least creating a bridge between our dads and the mothers of their children and their families and their kids. And so we want to extend our work to not only just build their capacity to be great dads, but we really want to look at a more holistic model of really helping families strive um, to do that. So you'll be hearing from me. And I also love the fact that we share a great friend in common and that's Lamar. I love them. And I love him and Ronnie to death. Um, he's actually been supposed to be coming on the show as well. I can't get him locked down. He's a superstar now. And every time right. I say that to him, he's like, no, you the superstar. I'm like, no, you the superstar. He's like, we go through that back and forth. And so tell everybody how they can get the book and how they can get in touch with you. Uh, so my website is just my name, JackieBruton.com. And uh, I have resources for parents and teens on my website. I even have some free resources where they can download. I have an ebook they can download called The Seven Things Every Parent Needs to Know Before Having to Talk. Mm. So that's right in line with what you're talking about. Listen, y'all need to holler at Jackie. Y'all need to bring her to your schools and y'all need to bring her to your churches. Stop playing around. Y'all don't want to have a conversation. Bring somebody in to have the conversation if you want to have it. I'm going to talk, talk, talk to our pastor about, listen, I got somebody y'all need to bring in today. They just did a whole, my wife was telling me a whole revamp of our children's section in the back. And so I, you might be hearing from me. I'm like, y'all need to bring her in here and get her copies of her book and share these things with parents so that we can have this conversation. Jackie, thank but you, you know what? Whenever, whenever I talk at a church, I always tell them, don't let me talk to the kids unless I can also talk to the parents. Why? Because I think the parents understanding this because really the parents should be the child's first educator. And so if the parent doesn't know how to have the conversation, I can come in and talk to the kids, but mm-hmm. they have to, um, they have to, to what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, support 
Why? the message that, you know, I can't, you can't just have me come in and do one talk and then there's no other conversation from the parent or from the youth department. Absolutely. You know why? Because they probably got still got dysfunctional thoughts on how to, what to think about sex themselves, right? So we got to get through that therapeutic, therapeutic piece of it. Like what you thinking about? So what was you taught about sex? And that's probably why you don't want to talk to your kids because you don't want to tell them about what you was taught and that what part, you doing, right? Listen, <laughs> Jackie, thanks so much for joining I Am Dad podcast. Um, it's been an absolute pleasure. I can't wait for this one to get out there for me to move this. And thank all of you for listening to I Am Dad podcast. Make sure you go to our website at IamDadPodcast.com. Listen to all of our shows Leave your comments, leave your posts, leave those things so we know what you're thinking and I know what topics to bring to you and what people to bring back. And until next Sunday, God bless. I'll talk to you soon. Peace out. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much for taking the time to spend with us. You've been listening to I Am Dad Podcast. We hope that you have been informed, encouraged you to think, or even inspired your heart for the love of dads. The conversation does not end here. Come back and join us next week. Same time, same place. Or you can continue the dialogue on our I Am Dad Facebook page. We also invite you to listen to past episodes, learn more about us, and keep up with special activities by visiting IamDadPodcast.com. That's IamDadPodcast.com. Until next time, I leave you with this reminder of manhood from 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 11. When I was a child... I spoke as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. Because of this reminder, I will always understand that I am dad, period.